I'm here because I'm very excited. Uh, I mean, I mean, is God good? I mean, is God good? I mean, is God good?
you story after story. I can tell you the story of waiting one night to close down the Senate in the middle of an override, the second time they override the President Vito. We had um, the vote the next morning. I thought we were going to lose. We were a couple votes short. And so I, was, I called my wife and I said, you know, I just feel like I'm sitting there ready to close up the Senate for the evening. about 8 o'clock at night. And I said, uh, I just feel like God's calling me to say something. There may be some senators who, at home and they don't have a life and they're watching C-SPAN and you never know, they could be watching me. And so uh, I went up to the presiding officer, a senator from Ohio named Mike DeWine, and I said, Mike, I'm only going to be a few minutes. If you don't mind, just hang in here because he had the he had a graveyard shift. There was no way after him to take over in the chair. And uh, he said, sure. So two hours later, I finished. Don't worry, I'm not going to go that long. <laughs> so I finished, and I I just I poured my heart out. And I put up pictures of children who were calling us, families calling us, and sending us pictures of their disabled children. Why disabled children? Because... The other side, Hillary Clinton's, the Barbara Boxers, the Diane Feinsteins were saying, we have to keep this procedure legal because people find out late in pregnancy that the baby that they're expecting isn't what they wanted, that the baby would be disabled, and that they need to abort these disabled children. So people would be sending me all these pictures. Here's my little boy or girl, and here I am in my wheelchair. They're talking about getting rid of me. And so I told those stories. The next morning I thought, okay, I've done it. You know, I, I really delivered the message. And we lost by two months. I remember walking out of the Senate chamber and looking at the Supreme Court ruefully, because that's where the Supreme Court's right across from. And I thought I had failed. And I was a failure not just because when I called my wife, it was 8 o'clock at night, I had four kids and they were crying. All of them. <laughs> and I said, I can't be home again that night. When I got home, they were all asleep. When I left in the morning, they were all asleep. So it was a young man being a horrible dad and being a failure as a senator. That's how I felt. Two days later, staff person brought me in an email from a young man from Michigan State University. And the email said, that night, two nights ago, I mean, tonight I was sitting watching we were flipping through the channels and we came across you and there was a picture of this person in a wheelchair so we stopped and listened to what you were talking about. As we sat there and we talked about trying to, you know, the, the debate of overriding the president's veto, I looked down and I saw my girlfriend had a tear running down her cheek. And I asked her what was wrong. And she said, I'm pregnant. And I had the abortion scheduled for tomorrow and I wasn't going to wow. tell you. In the eyes of the world, I have failed. My eyes, I have failed. But God is good. All the time. God sees more than we see in our little lives. He sees everything that's going on. He sees all the effort so many of you have put in over the course of this national tragedy of 63 million children. You talk about World War 
to the Holocaust. Times 10. And we have presided over it. We used to say we fought. But we didn't win. But we kept fighting. And that's the joyous message. What they meant for evil by releasing that report, that opinion, God's going to use for good. He's girding our loins. We're getting ready. We're going to see Roe versus Way overturned. We're going to see all the work, all the prayer come to. The, I don't know if any of you thought that in your lifetime you'd see Roe versus Way overturned. And we are here because we didn't give up. Do you understand how unusual it is for a Supreme Court decision? To not eventually take hold in America and be accepted. Maybe four or five times in the history of our country that's happened. And it happened here in spite of the fact that every institution in American life was against us. Academia was against us. Hollywood was against us. The news media was against us. Every institution but the church, and frankly, half the church is now against us. Everywhere you go, abortion's a good thing. And yet, you remain faithful. So God was faithful. You fought. You didn't give up.
object to that anymore? You ever hear it talked about anymore? The abomination of marriage instituted by God. Does anybody ever talk about well, the offense of that? No, we don't. Because we don't want to offend anybody. I'll tell you who you're offending. I'll tell you who you're offending. But we don't, don't seem to care about that because it doesn't affect our social status or our, our feedback on social media or how our <coughs> Colleagues at work look at us. Look at what's going on in, in the workplace. And all of the uh, lectures that you're giving about tolerance and conformity to the new world culture. How many fight against that? How many stand up? And if you do, great. But the reality is we're losing. We're winning our life because we didn't give up. Because we didn't accept a lie as truth. But everywhere else in our culture, we are. God's going to bless that. I heard someone say that we continue on the way that we are. America continues to survive. Then God owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. If we're not going to fight, we can't find seven good people. And don't, don't think that America is just going to keep on going. Why is this happening? You're good people. There are a lot of really good people in America. There are a lot of people who really care about this country, who care about the values that you and I share. Then why are we doing it? Well, there's a reason for that. And the reason is, we are the richest country in the history of the world. We have more wealth in this country than any country in human history. And you say, well, what's that have to do? Because we have replaced the God of the Bible with the God of self. It's about us. How many people get up every day and realize this fact? Everything you have, including the next breath you take, is a gift from God. Everything. We happen to believe in America that we actually deserve this. That we've actually earned it. We did this. That's a lie. But we all accept that lie. When horrible things happen to us, we get angry at God. Who gave us the good thing in the first place? Angry at something because a gift that you have has been taken away? How about thanking God for the gift you had? But we don't look at life that way. How many phrases in the Bible talk about the rich man not being able to enter heaven, right? 
What does the Lord say? Too much is given. Amen. It says it twice. Too much is given, much is expected. To more is given, more is required. Consider yourself part of the required class. But what do we do when God's laws are violated? Well, I don't want to lose my job. Whose job is it? God's not going to bless us. Oh, you may still have your stuff. We're going to be hollow souls. I don't know about you, but I think we, that Bible statement is true. That much is expected. Much is much is given, much is expected. More is given, more is required. I think the bar is pretty high for us. And look, you just look at what all God needs from you is to love Him, trust Him, and be faithful to Him. That's it. Look at what's happening with COVID, with the abortion issue, and understand that if we have the courage to fight and resist and speak the truth and do it with love, and underscore that, do it with love and understanding, what difference will make in this world? This country is still the beacon of hope for the world. It is still the best opportunity to change the world. I went through Europe as many times there on anniversary cruise with my wife. I remember sailing down, we did a river cruise, went down the Rhine and down the Danube. Something really struck me. As I went around, I went to Vienna. You know the 365 churches in Vienna? One more beautiful than the other. Incredible. Every little town was a church. Or two. Even little towns. Six houses, there's a church. If you go to those churches, they're unbelievable. Remember going down the Rhine with these castles. Famous place in the Rhine. Called the Rhine Gorge. But for every castle, there were five churches. Do you realize people who are by today's standards, dirt poor, spent more money on churches than they did on castles? Sold that our lives are here are short, and 
and the lives of eternity are forever. And we had leaders and people who understood that and lived their life understanding the proportionality between the two. If we don't do it, ladies and gentlemen, if the people in this room who care enough to come to a dinner like this to support an organization like this don't do something, well, who is? And you say, well, what should we do? And my answer is always the same. Anybody people ask me that, I just say, do something. Whatever it is, do something. But if you're doing something, do more. Because whatever you're doing, it isn't enough. Because we're losing. I know people don't like to hear that, but it's true. We're losing. So we need to do more. And then finally, we have an opportunity to do something here in the state of Ohio. Once Roe versus Wade is struck down, and that is to be salt and light. Those who defend abortion are liars. Because you can't defend abortion without the truth. You can't. Because people simply won't accept it. Yes, it is okay for someone who casually has sex to kill a child because they just don't want to bother with the consequences of their action. That's the truth of the vast majority of abortions. And they will never tell you that. They will never tell you that. They will have to lie. And it will take you to tell the truth. But you know what? You can't tell the truth with your mouth closed. You have to talk to people. You have to care as much about this as if it really mattered, because it really does. We have an opportunity here in the state of Ohio to probably ban abortions, maybe all of them. We have an opportunity here to save thousands of lives every year and do what God is calling us to do. But you have to have the courage to do it. And you have to have the skill to do it. Which means you have to prepare to do it. You say, well, I'm not a legislator. I'm not this. It doesn't matter. Legislators, in the end, don't win this battle. People in the cubicle next to you that you talk to, that's how you win this battle. You be as passionate as the people who you see on TV who are as passionate on the other side. You see their passion. It's ugly. Because it's a lie. And lies are of who's real. We need to be of Christ. We need to be loving. We need to be caring. For everyone involved in abortions. So I'm here because I'm excited. We have an opportunity to do good, to do God's will, and to do something that's going to save thousands of lives. But it's also an opportunity for each and every one of you to get some practice and be part of the resistance. And I know some of you do it in part, but as I said before, not doing enough because we're losing. And so I'm here to say thank you for being here. 
Thank you for your willingness to at least listen to someone who's been in the fight and has been blessed more than you can possibly imagine. I'll leave with a last blessing. I've had so many in my life. But one that just happened was I have um, eight children, but one is in heaven, so we're raising seven. Many of you know I, uh, our youngest daughter is named Bella. And Bella was born with trisomy 18. And we found out about that after she was born, and we were told that she had only lived a few hours, or days, maybe a few weeks. We were sent home on hospice. We were told she wasn't going to survive. So we used to celebrate her birthday every week. We have a birthday party for her every week. And our hope was that we would have as many birthday parties for her as normal kids would have, normal people would have lives. Well, tomorrow, Bella turns 14. Say that was the greatest teacher I've ever had in my life. She's taught me so many important lessons. Well, October of this last year, I got a call from my daughter. She's my oldest. She has been married for four and a half years, and they have been trying to get pregnant, but they haven't been able to. All the things you can do. They decided this maybe got some foster parents, so they signed up to do a foster care thing. For six months, they were promised child after child after child, never happened. For some reason, last minute, sometimes the day off, the foster child got older, but they never had a foster child. She called me and said, Dad, I just got a call from a friend of mine. And she was, uh, she was at Mass, Catholic Mass, on a Tuesday morning at the church, and 
outside of Madeline's Maryland. She had to go to church that, that morning. And the priest began to ask her up and said, uh, I want you to know there's a woman in our community who's pregnant and has a baby being delivered in a couple of weeks. And the baby you know, may have, we don't know, but may have some, uh, some medical issues. Do you know anybody that might be interested in adopting a baby that may have some medical issues? And so her friend, knowing my daughter's situation, ran to the back and said, I have the perfect person. She has a little special needs daughter, uh, sister, and so she, she'd be a perfect person. So the priest said, fine, got in touch. Long story short, she gets in touch with, they get her in touch with the mom. So they have this conversation, very brief on the phone. The mother says, yeah, let's have a meeting. So she drives up to Annapolis, she sits down with the mom, and the mom starts to tell her story. Goes through her. In fact, she's married, she has another child, but she just can't handle any additional stress. You know, it's hard enough. They were debating whether to have an abortion, actually. And they, they debated that. Uh, she said she tells the story of she has this old iPhone 6. She showed it to She said, um, you know, I pulled this out of my pocket while I was going through this issue of whether to have an abortion or not. And the phone was ringing. And it was called the Catholic priest. I had been in church in three or four years. I hadn't talked to this priest in a long, long time. But the phone was ringing. His, it was his name. And by the time I got to it, he had answered the phone. So I picked up the phone. I said, hi, Father. This is you know, such and such. I'm sorry to call you. Because but maybe I'm supposed to talk to you. And so they had a conversation, and so the, uh, the priest referred to a crisis pregnancy. So she talked to the people at the pregnancy center, and there's a group of nuns who work with that pregnancy center. And so one of them talked to her and became a counselor. They talked, and they went through the whole thing, and so the uh, counselor said, you know, I'd like to send you a book and, uh, you know, to, uh, for you to read. And she said, oh, okay. And she, she sent her the book. And the book is called Bella's Gift. Oh. Oh. It's the book my wife and I wrote about our daughter, Bella. <laughs> and so my daughter sitting there listening to this. And she said, did you read the book? She said, well, I read it. I read the introduction. And it so moved me, it blew me away, that I decided then and there I wasn't going to have an abortion. But then uh, I just couldn't read the rest of the book. I just couldn't do it. But I set the book on my bed some nightstand. And every night before I went to bed, I would say a prayer. That whoever adopted my little girl or baby would love that baby as much as the same forms would love And so Elizabeth said, well, I should tell you something. That book's about my sister. And she didn't know that. And she said, and, she said, and my mom and dad wrote the book. But I wrote the introduction. Oh. 
And she said, you should also know that sister that you were working with, is her name happened to be Sister Mary Doolittle? And she said, yes, it is. She said, well, five months ago, I saw Sister Mary Doolittle at an event. I know her. And she told me about a woman that she was working with. She didn't tell me her name. But she told me she was working with this woman who was dealing with this situation. And she asked me to pray for you and your daughter. So for the past five months, I've been praying for you and your daughter. And so two weeks later, little Zelie Mariano was born. And she is now our first grandchild. Our first grandchild was a little girl who may have been aborted and has special needs, thankfully not very severe at all. But what a better gift. I told Elizabeth, I said, no matter what happens through this process after this first meeting, I said, there's one thing that God has done for me. He has convinced you in absolute certainty that this little girl belongs in our family more than if she were conceived naturally. Because God, again, has blessed us. Because our life has been about protecting the unborn and fighting for those with special needs. So of course our first grandchild would be an adopted little girl with special needs. Do you really think you can outgive God? Do you really worry that if you sacrifice for him, that he won't be Rock Street. 